This talk is called The Open Secret. Everyone has their own light. Good morning. Happy New Year to those, especially those who are joining for a Sunday program and those of us who finished the New Year's session. So we are wrapping up uh, the New Year's session, which is just two days. And for those who it was their first session, that might feel like a long, long time. And, um, and usually, I mean, we have many different length sessions. So to have a two-day session is a special treat. We were focusing on uh, the fundamental teachings of Zazen, which I thought was a great way to start the new year, is to remind ourselves of the profundity and subtlety of the practice of Zazen. So we uh, chanted the Komyozo Zanmai, which is on that blue sheet, um, the, which is Koan Ejo's practice of the treasury of luminosity. That's how it's translated, the practice of the treasury of luminosity. And then we also, um, during lunch service, were chanting Dogen Zenji's Fukan Zazengi, which is Dogen Zenji's instructions on Zazen. And then Shirto's Song of the Grassroofed Hermitage, some more poetic zazen instructions. And all of these um, were supports for helping us align our view with the radical view of zazen. So, so to hear the words and just receive these reminders as we're engaged with the practice, I feel can have um, a profound effect on how we're orienting, even very subtly, how we're orienting towards what we're doing on the cushion. I shared at some Soto Zen monasteries and temples, they chant the Fukan Zazengi before the sitting period, and then they engage with the practice. So even though it was a short retreat, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. So I wanted to reiter reiterate some of the practice points that Milyu co-led the retreat with me. So some of the practice points that we visited during this retreat and explore how they may apply more broadly to our life as practice on and off the cushion. So often when we finish a retreat, um, one thing that can happen is like, what just happened? Like what, what were we even doing? Because you know, you're so engaged in the moment to moment experience and so much is happening when you end, it can you know, be difficult to remember what the Dharma talks were about or what we were even uh, focused on. Uh, so I wanted to reiterate some of those points just as, as we're now in a more integrative space. And then also see how what we apply in retreat practice can apply in our daily life practice. It just takes a little more creativity. We don't have the same supportive container. So one of the biggest uh, challenges we have is just remembering to practice. And Chosen Roshi really recognized that and wrote um, a number of books just to help us remember to practice, just short, short, simple practices you can do to integrate um, awareness into your daily life. So the five radical practices of zazen that we explored during this retreat were the Dharma gate of joyful ease, uh, befriending ourselves, reclaiming wonderment, 
taking the backward step, recognizing spaciousness, and turning the light to shine within, recognizing luminosity. So to start the Dharma gate of joyful ease, Dogen Zenji says, the zazen I speak of is not meditation practice. It is simply the Dharma gate of joyful ease, the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. So I mentioned these are the five radical practices of Zen. And as I was just engaging with this, uh, these teachings fresh, preparing the talks and, and doing my own practice, I was just recognizing just how against the stream uh, some of the Zen teachings really are, especially against our conditioning. So, I mean, there can be many barriers to doing very simple practices because our, our inner conditioning, our habits are just like, no, I'm not, I don't do ease. Someone said that in closing circle. I don't do ease. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how do we um, retrain or untrain the mind to recognize and practice ease? I remember having a similar reaction. That's one of the meta phrases, may I be at ease. And just, I would say that and my body would tense up. And I would breathe that in and my body would tense up. Like something in me wasn't willing to go there. And over time that has changed, but that can be um, a, a habitual reaction that might happen for you. Um, even hearing just what seems like simple encouragements or, or practices, because they're radical, because they go against the stream of a lot of our conditioning, whether it be fam familial conditioning, societal conditioning, or just the conditioning of being a human being, as you'll see some of these um, practices that we do really confront the idea of separate self. And that is a conditioning that's very strong. So joyful ease, <clears throat> like I said, it's radical to parts of ourself. And as someone named during our sharing circle, which is how we end a retreat at the monastery, they were saying that we're biologically wired to notice pain. And I liked hearing that because I have this practice that I've been doing. I work with um, teens and young adults in an um, outpatient mental health facility. And one of, I, I'm teaching mindfulness. And one of the practices we do before we go into the main content of the day is just to have um, a few minutes of mindfulness. And I invite everybody to turn their attention inward. So you can try it. It's very simple. You can turn your attention inward and just notice where your attention is drawn. And then we're just noting and then staying curious. That's how we do it in the, so you know, okay. Every time I do it, tension in the chest, tension in the back. It's always some form of physical discomfort that my mind goes to right away. Now I can catch that. And that's what we're, we're training the teens to do is to catch that, to notice that, and then stay curious. Well, what else is happening? What else is happening? And then I often throw in the prompts because I've been noticing, oh, there's so much habituation towards the negative. I often throw in the prompts, well, is anything positive or neutral happening in the body? 
Can you find any places in the body where there's ease or just a neutral feeling tone? And that's what this reclaiming wonderment, bringing some curiosity into the experience can open up that habit of just going for the negative. And without mindfulness, we go for the negative and then we stay there. Oh, there's tension in my back. Now I have to do something about it. Or I try to get rid of it. Or I'm going to ignore it or numb it out. So turning towards ease. Can you find ease in your body right now? Or ease in your mind? How do you experience ease? During this retreat, Myoyu quoted Chosen saying that awareness brings choice and choice brings freedom. Awareness brings choice. So when we are aware that attention has fused with or fixated on a negative thoughts, a challenging feeling or emotion, we can learn, I mean, that recognition right there is awareness. And we can learn to insert the question, well, is there ease? Can I choose ease or joy? Or open to the possibility that Ease and joy can coexist with whatever else is happening. So it's not like we're getting rid of the negative emotion or the the tension. It's just we're opening our awareness. And what happens when we do that is what seemed so dire, so wrong, is held in a in a bigger space. So oh wow. There's openness in my chest and tension in my back. But if I hold them both, the tension in the back seems less dire, less of something that I need to fight against or get rid of or try to fix. Because attention can hyperfocus, and that is its own training, is just you know, loosening the grip on that hyper-focus on what's not working, it can be great support to begin and end a meditation session aligning with, aligning attention with ease or joy. So right when you sit down, instead of letting the mind just kind of wander to something that's not working, really... Picking up your attention, that's what we're learning to do in in meditation practice, in awareness practice. Picking up your attention and, and offering the prompt, well, is there something easeful in my experience or neutral? And that's often why we take a couple deep breaths. We, you know, Dogen Zenji says, rock the body back and forth or find your center. Just explore your embodied experience before like really locking in on what's not working. And then at the end too, so often when we end a meditation session, if the bell rings and we're in the middle of being fixated on a thought or a planning, 
we can then, uh, a thought can come in, oh, you just wasted that whole meditation session, you didn't do it well, you were too busy, blah, blah, blah. And so to, like, when the bell rings or however you end your meditation sessions at home with an alarm or insight timer or whatever it is, to connect again with oh, what is working well or can I find ease or joy in this moment of experience gratitude can really be a beautiful way to end a meditation session because then you're going out into the rest of your day flavored by that attitude instead of the attitude of inner criticism or judgment and throughout the meditation session I often look for enjoyment in my meditation whatever I'm focusing my attention on Can I find joy in the breath or listening? And then a deeper inquiry for me lately has been, is simply paying attention, is that inherently pleasurable? Is it inherently enjoyable just to listen? You know, just that act of listening, not even what the content of the listening, not if it's a beautiful song or construction like can can just listening be pleasurable in and of itself and this is an an inquiry for me i invite you into that or just being aware of the breath is that that act of paying attention or that act of awareness is that enjoyable you know it might be very subtle joy and that's one of the things with meditation that we can begin to tune into is just the subtle joy perhaps of being alive is prior to the content of experience. And then allowing ease and joy to arise spontaneously in our lives is another way of practicing this Dharma gate of joyful ease. So when ease arises, allowing yourself to sink into it for a moment, right? Instead of like rushing to the next thing or, you know, I'll I'll do that later because it might not arise later. So it's like recognizing, somebody in our morning meditation group has been doing this, just recognizing moments of ease throughout the day and how that in and of itself is a meditation throughout the day, an opportunity to sink in, to appreciate, And similarly, recognizing joy and letting yourself wholeheartedly feel joy and even perhaps joy in other people's experience, which is one of the four immeasurables, empathetic joy. What we attend to grows. So if we attend to joy and ease when they arise naturally in our experience, when we attend to joy and ease in meditation, when we look for and find joy and ease in the breath or in simply paying attention, that that habit of attending to joy and ease grows and we have more joy and ease in our lives. And then we're functioning more from joy and ease and less from stress and judgment or whatever the other habit patterns are. It seems overly simple and 
And it actually is <laughs> in some ways. But our minds like complicate it, right? Our minds complicate everything. <laughs> and our habits of believing our thoughts and these certain ruts that, that our thoughts get in. Last on the joy and ease, just noticing how you can bring ease and joy into relationships and into work. Many of us have habits around busyness, over full schedules and calendars, relating to ourselves and others in a way as machines, like where productivity and efficiency become more of the value than the actual relationship. Unfortunately, that can be true. So noticing where can I lead with appreciation? Where can I slow down at work or in my relationships enough to actually notice the other human being that's there? To find time for joy and ease in work can be powerfully transformative. And taking time to really, you know, bring joy and ease into your relationships. I know sometimes what can pile up if you don't, if you live with people and you don't see them very often is like the things that you need to tell them or the things that are going wrong. And I can so quickly like lead with that. Like, oh, did someone get assigned to take out the trash this week? Instead of like, I love you. <laughs> I'm so glad we live together. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Next, we talked about befriending ourselves. Many of us have habits of self-criticism and inner conflict, and we can even subtly use meditation as a way of trying to cut off, exile, push away parts of ourselves. It's radical to welcome all experience. I shared this quote from the Komyozo Zanmai where Koan Ejo is quoting the Mahavairachana Sutra. And he says, Then the generous one said to Vajrasattva, The aspiration for awakening is the ground. Great compassion is the root, and skillful means the fruition. Master of secrets, what is awakening? And the reply was, it is knowing your mind as it is. It is knowing your mind as it is. To know our mind is a practice of intimacy. And intimacy is both immediate and it's a process. So immediate in the sense that we can only ever experience intimacy here, now. It's intimacy requires presence. Presence is attention. So we're only going to have moments of intimacy if our attention is engaged, if we're present. But intimacy also takes time. We know this in relationships, whether it's with a person, a pet, a place, a community, a rock, a tree. To know ourselves, we start with being with ourselves with kindness, curiosity, and deep compassion. In order to look into the nature of mind, we need to be able to be with ourselves without fighting or fleeing. 
And so that practice of radical acceptance of who we are in this moment is so foundational to the work of Sazen, to being truly human, to being ourselves. We used to have this following line. I loved this line uh, on our website copy for the 10-day session. And it said, this is all it said about the session. Zazen takes time. Zazen that leads to insight takes even more time. Come to session. <laughs> We've since like expanded our copy to give you a little bit more details of what session is. But I loved that. <laughs> And it's true. It takes time to know ourselves. So zazen only ever happens now. And it takes time to untangle the tangle of thought. It takes time to put down some of the armor that we've put on to protect ourselves in the world since childhood or earlier. So it takes time to know ourselves. It takes lots and lots of time and over you just see like people who've been practicing for 30 40 years there's just like such a deep self-love that they might not even call it that but just like a, such a deep self-acceptance and mature spiritual maturation that comes from being with oneself and then that leads to the deeper aspects of who we are and what we are. But in order to really look into the nature of mind, like I said, we need to be able to be with ourselves. Often we, when we begin practice and throughout practice, we want a quick fix. We're suffering. We want this to work. We want the right tool we want to experience enlightenment and then get on with our lives. We long for the end of the path before we even really begin. And that can be true about Zazen. That can be true about many of the endeavors that we pick up. I want to be good at this. I want to be the expert at this. I don't like being the beginner. In Zen, we praise the beginner's mind. Zen is a, a practice and a process. To continue on this path, you will change in ways often that you don't expect. And that's the challenge of staying with it. We have some idea of what I'm going to get out of this. Meanwhile, so much else is happening that other people see. They're like, yes, keep going to retreat. I like who you are when you come back. <laughs> but we're like, we can still be dissatisfied, but I'm not getting what I think I want from this. I've watched just living in spiritual community. I've watched people's hearts grow and soften. I've watched confidence deepen, faith open up, creativity and spontaneity bloom. Just like people really being themselves and that's so refreshing. The masks come off. There's just a genuineness. Each human being is so weird and unique and like, just living with practitioners, like you're living with a bunch of weirdos and it's so beautiful <laughs> that people just let themselves be themselves and that over time you really, really, yeah, a certain character builds through, through doing this practice all in its own time. And usually that happens 
this process of letting ourselves be ourselves and all of the fruits of that um, happen through going through challenges and staying with it, through going through doubts, periods of doubts, periods of dryness and staying with it, staying curious in it, going through hardships on the path, on our path of life and staying with it, letting it mature us. Well, as we befriend ourselves, we begin to be able to open to the truths of who and what we really are. We don't stop. We, like the sense of we, me, doesn't stop at thoughts or feelings. We don't end at the top of the head or the bottoms of our feet. Our senses connect us to others and the world. And if we really pay attention, it's hard to say where my eyes stop and you all begin. We are interpermeated with everything that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, sense, are aware of. And sometimes that's another assumption that we can kind of take for granted, like, oh, there's an in here and an out there. But if we really look, how are we experiencing this moment? We're hearing, we're seeing, we're smelling, we're tasting, we're feeling. And the sense of out there is actually happening in our awareness, in our seeing awareness, in our hearing awareness. We are interpermeating with everything. The world is actually arising in awareness. So we are inseparable in this moment. This is our life. This is part of who we are. Just something you can ponder. Reclaiming wonderment. So that was another practice we um, explored this, this session. And reclaiming wonderment really goes with all the other practices. So it companions joyful ease and befriending ourselves. Attention is one of the keys to wonderment. Letting yourself be curious and try new things, which many people, this was their first session, so there was that sense something brought you here, probably a combination of suffering and curiosity. A curiosity enough to sit with yourself for what, how long? For 36 hours. So letting ourselves be curious, try new things, to play, to be a little silly, to touch into the magic and mystery of life, to be willing to ask difficult and seemingly sometimes stupid questions. Insight in Zen is founded on a willingness to wander and to question really basic assumptions. So one of the core questions that we work with is, who am I? What is this? If, we're, if we let ourselves be willing to ask some dumb questions, we might stumble into some profound insights. And that's just letting your curiosity be unhindered. With wonder, wonderment, 
your zazen will deepen and your life will be more rich and creative. Another practice that we worked with was taking the backward step. And this is one of Dogen Zenji's famous zazen instructions. Stepping back, and the way that we worked with it is stepping back from thought. And you say stepping back from thought is stepping into awareness, which is to borrow another one of Chosen Roshi's slogans, the mind has two functions, thinking and awareness. When we step back from thinking, we step into awareness. I often make this step into embodied awareness. So noticing when I'm fused with or identified with thought, or even just as I sit down on the cushion, just making that movement into embodied awareness, picking up my mind, which is often here. I identify with my mind here. There's a felt sense of a lot of energy behind the eyes, sense of self, and letting it step back into embodied awareness. But you can make that step into breath awareness, awareness of sound. Because thoughts are so sticky and there is such a habit of identifying with them or fighting with them, Awareness grounded in the senses can help us begin to distinguish thinking from awareness. We can also begin to recognize the space between, around, behind, surrounding thought when we're in awareness. And awareness is spacious. That's one of the qualities of awareness. So beginning to recognize the spaciousness of mind is something that we can do when we do that practice of stepping back, taking the backward step into embodied awareness, into breath. You can do that right now. And then resting back. So many of the Zazen instructions that we looked at have this word rest. And stepping back, resting back. And just allowing, awareness is functioning freely through the senses, so we're just allowing the body to breathe itself, the body to feel itself, listening to happen. And from awareness, thoughts can happen, but they're happening just like another sense. I like to envision that they're happening out there, right? Because I'm so used to them happening here. And when they're happening in here, I think they're me. So if I take the backward step, I imagine that my thoughts are happening in front of me in just the space of awareness. That's one way that I work with that practice. And then I can see the spaciousness of thought, even the light of thought just arising as anything else in awareness. And awareness with the breath and with sound or embodied experience can help us deepen into awareness so that we're less pulled by thoughts and eventually perhaps not pulled by thoughts or thoughts quiet on their own because we're not feeding them with our attention.
Thoughts are really a small part of what the mind is. And it can be very freeing to recognize that. Our minds are actually very spacious. One, one way that I like to ex- not solidify, I was going to say like solidify that insight, but work with that insight is just to notice the thought stream. So you might do that. We've been working at noticing the thought stream during this retreat. And from the thought stream, just turning around and looking at how spacious the mind is. Like turning back and just looking around a little bit. And we're looking at awareness here, so it's fast. And thoughts are just a teeny tiny part of that vastness. We often use the analogy, awareness is as vast as the sky. Feeling into that level of spaciousness. And thoughts, they can seem quite insignificant when we really can hone in on how spacious the mind is. And we can appreciate spaciousness on and off the cushion. So often we are habitually relating to the objects in our lives. We walk in a room and we notice like what's out of place or what doesn't match or the mess or the things that need to be done. Or... You know, we can relate to that in so many different ways. We're t- we tend to be object-oriented. The objects in our minds, the pain or tension in the body, other people's opinions and thoughts about us that we sometimes imagine or hear them saying. And so we're relating to a lot of objects. But there's actually a lot more space. I mean, look at this room. If you take in the space in this room... That's pretty significant. And so we can learn to accustom ourselves to noticing space. And some people experience that as a felt sense. So you can just like open the felt sense of the space in the room and feel into the space around your body, the space up towards the ceiling behind you. out the windows. For some people, it's more visual, so you can see the space, the absence of objects. And for some people, it's through the auditory field is easier access, noticing the soundscape and how spacious the soundscape is. However you have access to it, just starting to recognize space might recognize space on a page, space on your computer screen, just noticing all the ways that you are interacting with space and space is actually making your life possible moment to moment. Another way of appreciating space in our lives is leaving an hour every day 
or one day a month, completely unplanned, unscheduled. Let yourself feel the spaciousness of not having anything to do. It's another way that space can get clogged up as we fill it with to-do lists, with activity. The final practice we worked with during the sashin is the practice of turning the light to shine within. On the cushion, you could do this when you sit down for the first few minutes, turning awareness towards the thinking mind. And a number of people just noticed how, oh, the, the thinking mind goes quiet for a moment. And that's just re, it's changing our relationship to thought. Usually the thinking mind is just going, 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 and we don't even question it. And oftentimes we're pulled around and very influenced by its going by the flavors of its chatters. And so to turn the light back at the thinking mind, just for a minute or even less, just to establish that, oh wait, I'm not my thoughts. Oh wait, there can be, there's actually a lot of space in the mind. There can be moments of silence. And then picking up your practice And then another way we worked with turning the light to shine within is once you've established some stability with breath or with listening, letting your awareness turn back and look at the one who is aware of breathing. And that's one way of questioning that assumption of the subject-object duality. I'm in here, breath is. I'm aware of breath instead of breath or sound just happening, happening us. Shurto says, turn the light to shine within, then just return. So you do that gesture and then you just return to the practice. And you can do it again, like 10 minutes later, just as a way of Questioning, gently questioning, challenging that assumption. Because the self reestablishes itself, right? And we can turn the light of awareness back and just notice, okay, is there really someone there? Or some people got a little um, confused with the who, which is good. So what is aware is another way of, of asking that. What is it that's aware? What is it that hears? That's aware of the breath. And then a practice that Chosen demonstrated for us during the sharing circle so naturally is recognizing how the light of awareness is shining through our senses uninhibited all the time seeing the light of the floor or the light in another person. The freedom, spaciousness, and light of awareness is always right here, functioning freely 
through our senses, illuminating everything. In a way, all these practices can make it sound like a big deal. Like there's all this stuff I have to do. It's because our habits and tendencies to reify self, me, mind, thought is so strong that we actually are retraining ourselves to see what's directly in front of us, to be who we are naturally. When we decrease our fixation on thought, we realize that we live in a world of radiant light. And we can see and appreciate this light in each person we meet, the inner radiance of each being. To close, I want to invite us to allow the inconceivability of this practice. It's another word that was used in probably all the chants we chanted. Inconceivability. Don't try too hard to understand, make sense of, put in a box, draw conclusions about your practice, about this weekend, about the retreat, about anything that I said or anything in the chants. Let there be a little mystery to this. Part of reclaiming wonder is allowing the mystery of our lives the mystery of each person, the mystery of this path to unfold itself. 